If you were to go on the internet following worship, or I guess during the sermon if it's boring, and uh, Google the phrase, worst youth minister ever, I'm pretty sure you would see my picture pop up pretty quickly in that internet search. Uh, My first few church jobs out of college and in college were working with youth. My, My first youth job in church was a little church out from Pelahatchee where I was youth minister when I, my senior year at Mississippi College. I would, I would work with the youth on Sundays and Wednesdays, you know, drive back and forth between Clinton and, um, and, and Pelahatchee a good bit, you know, spend a lot of time on the road between the two places. But it was, I was a senior finishing up school and all that, so I, I didn't spend a lot of time with the kids, but it was a good experience. Then after, after college, I took a year off where I, I, my joke was I took a year off between college and seminary so that I could say I held an honest job for once in my life. And um, I, I, I was youth minister at, uh, at Raymond UMC, but I was also working full-time at the Baptist, or Lifeway. When I started, it was actually the Baptist bookstore. Uh, Lifeway. And um, I managed their stock room. And so I was working, you know, 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week in the stock room and then doing youth ministry, you know, on the weekends at Raymond and on Wednesday nights. And y'all... I was bad at it. Like, I don't think I shipwrecked anybody's faith. I don't think I did. But I was not good. I was so busy with work that I didn't have the time that I wanted to devote to working with the youth. And then I was young, and I was stupid, and I was unorganized, and I was stupid, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't trained. I just, I, I was not, I was not good at it. I'm not trying, this isn't me being falsely humble. I was bad. And y'all, when you feel called to something and you're bad at it, that's an incredibly humbling thing. I spent many hours praying like, Lord, am I really called to this? Was that just indigestion? You know, you heard the old joke about the old boy plowing the fields and looks up at the heavens and sees a pea. He says, Lord's called me to preach. So he leaves the field and enters the ministry. And he was terrible. Every church he went to struggled. He, every church declined. and Some of them died. He, just, he was just awful at it. He goes to heaven when he dies, and he says, Lord, said, you know, I was plowing, and I saw the pea in the heavens. You called me to preach. Why did you do it if I was going to be so bad at it? Lord said, son, I wasn't calling you to preach. I was telling you to keep plowing. I'll tell you to keep plowing. I wondered, Lord, was that pea really preach? Or was I supposed to keep plowing? I didn't know. I I didn't know. I struggled. Uh, And so one of them. I've always loved church sanctuaries. I just, I just love sanctuaries. I love coming and sitting in them. I love coming and praying in them. I just, I just love, to me, there's something holy about a sanctuary. I, I, regardless of the size or the look, I, I, just, I, just, I just love coming into sanctuaries. And so one of the perks of working in a church is this. you got a key to the sanctuary. That's a good thing. So I had a key to the, to the, to the Raymond Sanctuary. And if you've ever been in that church, it's, it's a beautiful church there, kind of in downtown Raymond. And I... Uh, some nights I'd just go over there and pray, like, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Am I really called to this? Should, should I be doing something else? Lord, I don't know. You've got to help me. 
Because I don't know. And one night I was at the altar just praying, pouring my heart out. God, you got, you got to either give me a sign of some sort or close this door or open up another door because I can't do this. I can't do this. And I was praying. And it was like the moonlight shone through a window there in the church and landed on the font, landed on the baptismal font. And it's like the Lord told me, he said, Andy, I died for you. I gave my son for your sake. I have given you grace. I have saved your life. I have called you. You are mine. And yes, ministry is going to be hard. And there's going to be times you fail at it. And there's going to be times you think you should do something else. But I have called you to this. And you have to be faithful. It was in that moment, in that sanctuary, the Lord, for me, reaffirmed my calling to ministry that I'd had several years before. So I continued on. That's not to say it's always been easy. And that's not to say there weren't times the Lord had to smack me upside my head. And that's not to say the Lord had not given me my amazing wife. I don't know where I'd be. But I knew in that moment, he called me. That was my North Star. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a water person. I don't do all the water. It's my jokes why I'm Methodist. I'm afraid of all the water the Baptists use. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't like water. That's why when I went parasailing during, during vacation, I said, you got, went parasailing? What's wrong with you? I'm like, yeah, you know, you got to be crazy sometimes. But, you know, you hear the stories about the sailors. And they're, they're out at sea at night. And their, their directions are failing. They could always find the North Star. They could always find the North Star. They follow that North Star. The North Star would lead them home. That North Star would lead them back to where they needed to be. That North Star was that, was that directional God. In our life, we need North Stars. We need things to point us home when we don't know what we're doing. You know, this series, Back to the Basics, last week we talked about... Um, we talked about the fact that God, that there are these individuals that, that, that desire something better and that God has placed within all of us this desire for something better, that this desire for a country and for a home that was not built by human hands, but built by God's hands. And we all have within us this desire for something that's bigger and better. We all know there's something more that this world just can't satisfy. We try the things of this world, and we work, and we play, and we have a good time, but we know there's something more. And we can only truly desire something better if God has placed within us that desire, the fact, like, the fact that you desire God. Yes, I know we all mess up. I get that. I know we all fail. But the very fact there's anything in you that desires God, that desire comes from him. If there's a single part of your soul that desires a relationship with God, that desire was placed in your heart by God. We call that prevenient grace. That's God's grace calling to us and pulling us to himself. God has placed in us this desire. So today we see that. And, and, and t- today, we, we, last week we talked about that prevenient grace. But today, today we see this story. We, we, we see the continuation of what we saw last week with, with, with the Old Testament saints. But today, we see this. You know, like, I like how the Scripture is honest. 
It says, some of them, they, armies fled before them. The Red Sea parted and the other people drowned. You're like, yeah. Some of them were sown in half. Ooh. I want the bad guys drowning line, not the get sawed in half line. I don't want that. They said both of them, they desired something better. It gives, it gives example like Rahab. Rahab, if you don't know the story of Rahab, she, she was a prostitute in Jericho. And the spies, Caleb and Joshua, they cross the Jordan and they go over to spy on Jericho before, before the Israelites attacked. And one thing that's been true throughout human history, the people don't like spies. So if the people in Jericho had found the Israeli spies, they would have killed them. Well, Rahab takes them in and hides them and protects them, knowing in that doing this act, she herself could be killed. Knowing that this act of faithfulness, this act of obedience, could in and of itself endanger her very life. But yet she did it. Yet she did it. David, though he was the run of the litter of his brothers, had the courage to be king. Samuel had the courage to be the great prophet. Peter had the courage to leave behind his nets. Paul had the courage to leave behind, leave behind his career. How did they do this? What was that North Star? What led them to that decision point? What led them there? How could they do it? We see in Hebrews 12 the answer. It said, let us lay aside all these sins, all these weights that encumber us. Place our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In our lives, y'all, they're decision points. What's the old Robert Frost wrote poem? Two roads diverged in a yellow road. I was sorry I could not travel both. Often like the old quote by Yogi Berra. I like Yogi's quotes because, you know, Yogi said he didn't say half the things he said. But um, Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. We have decision points. How do we know which way to go? We have to follow the north star of Jesus Christ. We have to keep our eyes upon him. We were joking this morning when I walked in the office. It was kind of it was kind of warm in the office this morning. And um not well, it wasn't warm, it was hot. <laughs> you know. And I, ooh, it's hot in here. That's what I told Aaron. I, said, I think I might preach on hell this morning. Said, I'm telling everybody, I gotta get saved. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life is to put your complete faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the most important decision in your life. More important than where you're gonna where you're gonna work at, more important than who you're gonna marry, more important, more important than what you're gonna do for hobbies, more important than what you're gonna eat for lunch today. The most important decision you will ever make in the course of your life is the decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. That is the most important decision that you will ever 
make in every other decision in your life pales in comparison to that. We're called to follow him. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing about these decision points. Yes, there, 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 there are these decisions. That decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ, without a doubt, that is, that is the major decision of our life. And everything else pales in comparison to that. But here's the thing. Here, here's the thing, church. We don't get saved and then magically transported to heaven. We stay here upon the earth. And as long as we are here upon the earth, as long as we got breath in our lungs, as long as we are here, we have some purpose for God, something we're supposed to do. So it isn't just that we make that decision to follow him as Lord, but every day of our life, we make the decision to follow him. Every day of our life, we make the decision to serve him. Every day of our life, we make the decision to follow him with our words, with our actions, with all that we are. That is the crux of our lives, is to follow Jesus. Because everything else falls into place when we follow him. But if we're not following him, then everything else is going to be out of order. If I'm not following Jesus with my prayers, with with my scripture, with my service, with my life, then I'm going to be a terrible father and husband. I'm going to be a terrible pastor. I'm going to be a terrible person to work with. If I'm not following Jesus, the rest of my life falls apart. Now, that's not to say you follow Jesus. Everything's perfect because it's not going to be. Go back to people being sawed in half. That would hurt. I don't know what your copay is on that one. I'm guessing 20 bucks, but I don't know. Maybe probably 25, 30, I guess, Tim. I don't know. By the way, the first, somebody asked me this morning after the early service, hey, what was up with that first reading? The, 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 the gospel passage where Jesus tells them, like, he came to bring a sword? Jesus is nice. He doesn't fuss at people, does he? I mean, Jesus is like a big teddy bear, right? Isn't that what Jesus is? You know? kind of our spiritual genie. We just ask Jesus for what we want and he gives it to us. Isn't that the way faith works? Jesus' thing was, in that first passage, along with the second, we've got to make choices. We've got to make choices. Jesus Christ, you know, you know, Jesus Christ is not Switzerland. He won't let us be neutral. He won't let us be neutral. You know, the, the passage in Revelation, don't be hot or, either be hot or cold or, you know, whatever. Don't be lukewarm. You know, you know what that's about? Uh, what, what's happening there in the, in the Roman world, they had, uh, they had gyms, um, and, and the Romans were kind of weird. They, they believe one of the ways you strengthen the body was uh, by testing the body, endurance. So what they would do is they would have these pools that were heated as hot as you could physically stand it. And they had other pools on the other side that were seated, heated, or were chilled as cool as you could possibly stand it. So what you would do is you would get in the hot pool for a while, and as long as you could stand it, and then immediately jump in the cold pool. Because their thought was, well, this is testing human endurance. Then what happened is, like every swimming pool, water ran off of it. And the water between the hot pool and the cold pool would run off to just be kind of there. Not hot or cold. Jesus isn't saying hot people are good and cold people are bad. Be who God made you to be. God created you unique. Be who God's called you to be. But the one thing, the one thing we got to be is we can't be neutral. We have to decide to follow. Now, how you follow is not how I follow. But we got to follow. 
Well, how do we do that? The text here says, lay aside the sins and the failures and the fears that weigh us down and put our eyes upon Jesus Christ and follow him. We're going to be weighed, y'all, you're going to be weighed down by your past mistakes. You are. You're going to have your past failures cling to you so tightly. When I, when, when I was a kid and we, we played football at Bogachuda, we had always hated to run. I know that shocks you. You'd think I'd be a great sprinter. I, I hated to run. But what happened, when, you, when you'd run, there, there's a part of the football field the coaches couldn't see. So we just kind of, you know, stop running there and sit there. And we'd always say the bear got on our back. You know, the bear got on our back. We couldn't run very hard because we were, the bear was on our back. For some of us this morning, there's a bear of past failures. There's a bear of past mistakes. There's, there's a bear of current mistakes and current failures that weighs us down. We, says, we say we can't do it. We can't walk. We can't go. We're weighed down by the past or weighed down by the present or weighed down by this stuff. And Jesus says, lay those things aside. Lay those things aside. Give them to Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. He loves you. He sent his son for you. You are forgiven. We can lay aside these things. And y'all, I get it. That's not a one-time thing. Because if you're like me, you lay it at the altar, then you pick it right back up. Say you lay it at the altar tomorrow. And you pick it back up and you lay it the next day and the next day and the next day. And we make the decision every day of our life to lay it at the altar. Every day of our life to lay it at the altar. We lay aside these things and we also lay aside the fear of the future. We don't know what tomorrow holds. None of us do. Sometimes we're shackled down by the mistakes of the past. Sometimes we're shackled down by the fear of the future. But here's the thing, y'all. If you're looking at the past and you're looking at the future, you know who you're not looking at? Jesus. Fix your eyes upon him, the author and perfecter of your faith, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes upon him. He is your North Star. He is your rock. He is your light in the darkness. He is your hope in the sadness. He is your strength in your weakness. He is the one that enables us. So yes, the big word is justifying faith, justifying grace. God gives us the grace for conversion, the grace to put our full faith in him. But God also gives us the grace Every day, choose Jesus. Every day, lay aside these things. Every day, trust in him. We don't focus on the past. We don't focus on the future. We focus on the Savior. Place your eyes upon him and follow him wherever he leads you. And he will never lead you astray. May he be our present help in times of trouble. Let us pray.